Welcome to Priority Status. I'm Amanda Feldman Jay, an account supervisor at J Public Relations. For my podcast debut, I'm joined by an amazing journalist friend. While her love of traveling ignited during her years competing all over the world as a professional surfer, Alexandra Cini, my guest today, sharpened her teeth with 10 years as a staff reporter at both the Wall Street Journal and Variety. Turning freelance, Alexandra artfully moves between coverage areas from driving luxury automobiles to exploring design, perennially seeking adventure to covering the business of entertainment. So Alexandra, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We're so excited to have you. I feel like you know, we've followed your byline for so many years and and you have such an interesting entrance really into the travel space. And I think a lot of people would be excited and, and it's kind of an unexpected thing to learn how you really fell in love with travel. So yeah, absolutely. Give us your start story. Well, I think everybody's start is different and mine didn't really follow a particular path in terms of it wasn't something where my family would go on vacation every year and that was it. I did a little bit of traveling in high school with some folks who were going on trips. One of the teachers, the Spanish teacher, would take us every year. So that was kind of my first entree into, okay, there's a little bit of a world outside of the U.S., There's a little bit of a world outside of what I know, but I was very much traveling in a bubble. When I really started to experience the world with almost no interference from anyone I knew or recognized was when I was a professional surfer. And I got into that because I had won a fellowship called the Watson Fellowship, which is kind of a baby MacArthur. And I traveled around the world and I explored how surfing cultures engaged in environmental advocacy. And simultaneously, I was on tour and surfing all the tour events, but even though I had some great sponsors, I wasn't on a traveling team. So it was really up to me to figure out the logistics and book my own trip and figure out where I was going to sleep and when I was going to surf. And so as glamorous as people paint travel, there's a lot of minutia. There's a lot of logistics. There's a lot of being able to roll with it in a way that you will never foresee. I mean, I've now been doing this over a decade, and I still get caught off guard. So for me, my entry was via professional surfing. And I left the world of professional surfing, retired on top, because it was nowhere near where it is now, professionally speaking, in terms of opportunity and money. I mean, the WSL, which is the World Surf League, first American sport to pay men and women equally which is huge. So huge. And from there, I went and got a master's degree at Columbia Journalism School. So I was in New York, and downturn hit. Was I graduated in May of 2009, and there were no jobs. I graduated on the day the New York Times let go of 100 reporters. Wow. And panic. I mean, everyone was panicked for different reasons. I couldn't really move home because there was no jobs to go home to. I live in California. So I stayed in New York, and I just started kind of from the get-go freelancing. And I was writing a little bit 
interestingly enough, for the New York Times, I was writing a little bit for the Wall Street Journal. And then I was hustling on a day rate for the New York Post and the Daily News. And there was a website that I'm pretty sure doesn't exist anymore called DNA Info and just doing any journalism job I could do. And I said, you know, I want to be a travel writer. And everyone I talked to said, you are going to need one heck of a resume because it's a dream job and everybody wants it. And I really took that to heart. So I spent the next kind of two handfuls of years, I launched the New York Times' first ever blog, which was the Fort Greene Local blog. And I was still doing my day rate thing. I worked as a freelancer right after Rupert Murdoch bought the paper at the Wall Street Journal when they were trying to figure out what to do with all the sections. And I figured out how to outwork everyone and make myself indispensable, and I earned a staff position. I was at the Journal for a touch over five years, covering everything. I was in every section. I covered art and film and fashion and parties and design and a little bit of travel, and I helped launch the magazine. And what that kind of taught me was how to be really scrappy, mm-hmm. because unlike a lot of the other publications where they already had, like the New York Times already had a very established art section and a very established style section. That didn't exist at the journal. And it was a blessing in disguise because I was able to find my footing and that became essential to where I am now. I bet. So I was at the journal and I worked at the journal in both New York and LA. And then I left and went to Variety and I was their senior film reporter. So I was managing people for the first time in my life. And I was also the person responsible for really understanding the goings-on of the film market. And I love Hollywood. It's my home. It's where I'm from. But dealing with it day in and day out wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I missed being able to link things together. I missed being able to link a book to a piece of fashion, to a piece of design, which I did more at the journal. Mm -hmm. So I left Variety and I said, okay, I think I've got a resume. Youngest columnist in the Wall Street Journal's history. I just came off of managing people and writing cover stories for a variety. Let's do this. Let's see what this takes and let's do it. And honestly, for the better part of a year, I kind of sat on my hands yeah. because even though I had a lot of, you know, wonderful agencies, PR agencies like yourself, where I knew people and I had worked with people, it's different. It's a different beast. It's a different beat. Totally. Uh, You talk to different people. You work with different people. So it didn't exactly resonate. Mm -hmm. And I got onto, yes, I got onto a couple of press trips, but in my mind, I gave myself a date. I said, okay, you're going to have two years because everyone I know When I was obviously at the Wall Street Journal, I did cover finance a little bit as well. And that's really the amount of time I was always told people would take to really understand if a business was doable. Two years. So I gave myself two years and said, okay, you've got two years to figure it out or go back in-house somewhere. It's not the end of the world. It's fantastic. Give it a try. And it's hard work and scrappiness and being able to, being willing and able and tell your reporter friends and your editors and your PR people, I'm game. What do you need me to do? I'm happy to do it. Let's work. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like you have such an amazing story and it's like you have so many lives already and (laughs) so many 
areas of of expertise and, and things that you've touched, but what is it about travel that just drew you back in that you couldn't really let go of, that you really wanted to pursue that path at that point? I'm going to answer that question in an interesting way, which is I feel like depending on where you're from, and this has happened to me my entire life, depending on where you're from, what you think and find as normal, some people like challenging that and some people don't. So like I went to undergrad in Massachusetts and I personally am not enthralled with precipitation. I don't need a season (laughs) to tell me it's time to clean. I didn't grow up that way. Mm -hmm. I didn't need snow to say it's winter, it's cold, it's Christmas, because I didn't have it. Maybe if I had it, I would think differently. Such an interesting perspective. Right? (laughs) And and absolutely, you do you if you do need snow to tell you it's Christmas. I don't need snow. That's fine. No, but there are people (laughs) out there. I met plenty of people in college who are like, oh my God, what do you mean you're in, you go to the beach on Christmas Day? It's like, yeah, I go surfing on Christmas Day. That's Christmas. Sounds like a good Christmas to me. But that being said, just challenging the status quo, challenging normal, but then also realizing I firmly believe that unless you go out and see the world, people are going to tell you things, and perhaps this comes from being a journalist and being so factually driven— you're not going to know if it's right or wrong. It's their opinion. Mm-hmm. So someone could say, oh, my God, X country is awful. And you could go there. I'll give you an example. When I was surfing, I spent nine weeks driving down the east coast of South Africa. And everyone said, oh, my God, it's so dangerous. You're a woman. You're going to be by yourself. You're going to be in a car. You're going to have so much gear. It's so dangerous. It was lovely. The northern part of South Africa, in my experience, there were a lot of Africans, Black South Africans, who were just, they welcomed me in. They were lovely. They had no idea what surfboards were. We joked about it. There's more of a white population in Southern, like the southernmost part of South Africa, like Cape Town. Mm -hmm. And meeting those people and understanding the large majority of them come from Dutch lineage and kind of understanding how the two lineages came together. And if there was conflict and how apartheid really did affect them. And you, I think, cannot form your own opinions until you ask your own questions. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of questions. Yeah. You've gotten to ask a lot of them, which is amazing. And Mm -hmm. I, I do think that it really changes who you are at your core when you have had the ability to see the world and experience so many different people and cultures and try all the the local cuisines in so many places. And just because you and I have known each other, I know that you do a lot of this travel solo. Yes. And, you know, in my experience traveling solo, and I haven't done nearly as much of it as you, but I think that when you are solo in, in an unfamiliar or even a familiar territory, it allows you, it gives you more of um, of that space to just keep remaining curious and, and meeting new people and talking to new people because sure. you are literally there alone and you're just wanting to take it all in. I think there's a wild difference, and I ruminate on this a lot, partially because I'm an only child, but there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Yeah. Very rarely when I'm traveling am I lonely. Every once in a while when I'm, like, on day three or four of eating dinner by myself, 
I very much am looking for someone to eat with or talk to. I become that woman at the bar who's sitting there talking to the bartender, and the bartender's like, oh, my God, please, please stop. (laughs) And I'm like, no, 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 I have all these questions. But so at that point, that's maybe when a little bit of the loneliness sets in. But other than that, I don't really feel alone because – we're humans, and I think people all too often label other people as other. Mm-hmm. I don't understand them because of race or creed or color or religion or whatever. Yeah, We're human. We all put our pants on the same way. Like, to me, returning to that is traveling. You really get to the basics because things inevitably go wrong. And you have to be able to not only roll with it to do my job, but also you have to be willing to ask people for help. And everyone you ask for help is going to be a stranger. I think traveling is such a humbling experience, you know, especially as a luxury travel journalist. You know, you've seen some of the most amazing destinations in the world, stayed at some of the nicest hotels and, and resorts in the world. But then, like you said, inevitably, something is going to go wrong. And it's all about how you you do roll with it. And exactly. I find that when I'm traveling, it reminds me how small I am, not in a bad way, but Absolutely. just like there is such a big world out there and you are just like a tiny speck on it. And it's it's humbling for me. One of my favorite photos that I love to take, the majority of photos that I take are self-timed. So the photos that appear on my social media or some of the photos that will end up as like the contributor photos in the magazines that I write for are taken by me because I travel largely by myself. And my favorite photos are always the photos where I am a speck in a landscape. Yeah, You see me, obviously, but there's so much more. We're so right. much it, like it, it's like, oh, wow, this isn't about me. Exactly. Like, there's so much more out there. Precisely. It's a slippery slope, though, because there's always more. Right. There's always more to discover. There's always more to see. So at what point, and I've been wrestling with this too, at what point do you stop? At what point do you realize you're what you're missing or what you're giving up to do this? Because people are constantly saying to me, my goodness, must be tough. Your life must be tough. You get to travel. I mean, I'm obviously, we're recording this in New York. I leave and go to Portugal and London and Sweden with Jaguar. And then I'm going to Switzerland to the La Prairie Spa. And then I'm going to Marrakesh to the new Oberoi property there. And then I'm going through Paris because I fly frequently with a Delta and they go through Paris. Love Delta. So, People say, oh, my, that sounds great. How long are you going to be gone for? And it's like, oh, well, I'm doing all of that in two and a half weeks. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> You're not going to be home? And I mean, it's it's January now. You're not going to be home in like May? It's like, no, I'll be home first or second week of February. Yeah. And because it's work. Right. I'm not going and, and being able to lounge on a lounge chair. Right. Although I always find time in every city I'm in, in one way or another, to do something for me. So So important. It's so important. And like any job, people are, again, always being like, this is great. This is awesome. My best days are unimaginably great. They blow me away. But my worst days are 10,000 times worse than most kind of nine to five 
worst days, if you will. Because it's such like high highs and, and low it's lows. It's a heartbeat. It it's really constantly is constantly a heartbeat. But the highs just keep they, they just keep you in it. There are moments where as a writer, as a wordsmith, as someone who has to bottle up an emotion and write it to be able to share with others. There are times, there are moments I can close my eyes and think of that I still can't describe. I can describe what it looked like, where I was, but yeah, there's this emotion deep within you. It's almost like a little fairy. It's yours. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. But a lot of people, when they experience that, need to be okay with that. Right. Need to have undescribable experiences. Right. And I think a lot of times, you know, people also, they might want to travel solo, but they're scared or they just think that they can't for some reason. Mm -hmm. Or it could even just be like, you know, I want to share this with someone. And I think that there's good things about both of those. But I do think that traveling solo just gives you such a a unique perspective on the world. Well, two things that I've found. One – If you're by yourself, people will come and talk to you. Yeah, you're more approachable. Versus being in a pair. If you're in a pair, Mm -hmm. you're kind of spoken for. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting and you can find a way to kind of vibe out the, come approach me. I'm I'm here and willing. Some of the best times that I've had have been meeting and then, of course, figuring out how to trust random strangers. Mm Mm-hmm. Contrary to what a lot of people say, people are good. People around the world are good. And you just have to find a way to trust and find a way, obviously, always be alert, always be aware, know what you're getting into. But I think in the world right now, we need to give more people more of a chance. I agree with you. So that's one. Yeah. And two is it's so, so, so important for you to figure out what you're made of. And I find it's only when you're by yourself and you're in an uncomfortable situation where that really shines through. Yeah. Because one, it's growth, sure. But two, it's being able to look at yourself and say, hey, I don't, I don't like this about myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only one who can change it. And I think travel puts you in a position to be able to very clearly do that very quickly. So true. And as we were saying, there's highs and lows. And one of the highs is obviously getting to stay in luxury hotels and resorts. And that's something that you and I are both very fortunate to experience on a regular basis. So how do you not get jaded by the luxury experience all the time? Fortunately, this wasn't my first job out of college. As we've spoken about, I did the time. I worked my way up. And with that, I think the older you get, the more experience you get, the more experience you have. It's not about being jaded, although every once in a while I do catch myself and it's a Alexandra. You are being ridiculous. Stop it. (laughs) But that being said, people forget this is a job. It is my job to have a critical eye. It's my job when something goes wrong to see if a hotel can write it. It's my job to be able to discern and differentiate between luxuries 
So true. It is rarefied air, 100%. But it is something that not everyone can do. And not everyone, frankly, should do. Mm -hmm. The culture of luxury is also ever-changing. Last decade, it was very much about how over-the-top can you get with your furniture or your design aesthetic or how rare of food from whatever place can be flown in. The luxury segment was defined very differently. Now, it's very experience-driven. It's very Mm experiential-driven. People are willing to fly for 24 hours to get to the most remote place on Earth to, sure, still have some luxuries. They're still running water and electricity and things like that, but they're willing to eat the local food prepared in the local way. They're willing to do a little bit more trek or a little bit more work or a little bit more philanthropic travel. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, luxury for me is always being able to find a new experience that's well executed. Being able to see, hey, this hotel is carbon neutral. To me, that's a phenomenal luxury because someone very consciously took a, an effort, probably a very large undertaking, to take care of our earth. That, to me, is way more luxurious than flying in any food from any remote place. And I think people are more willing to do that. So I don't get jaded because I'm always looking to be surprised, and I want to be surprised. I'm rooting for everyone. I want everyone to succeed in the luxury space and not in the luxury space. I want you to do your job and I want you to do it well. And I want to be surprised if I need to turn a critical eye and say, hey, you didn't do this or it didn't work or why are you doing this? Let's have a dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. If I say, oh my God, you were the amount of single-use plastics you're using can be replaced with a water filtration system and give out free water bottles in your room. Boom, done, solved. Right. If they say no, then it's kind of like, okay, well, you're not the kind of luxury that I'm interested in. Totally. And you're not the kind of luxury that my readers are interested in. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a amazing and unique perspective to approach it with. So thank you for sharing of that. Of course. <laughs> of course. I hope it resonates. I mean, it certainly does with me. So I hope and anticipate <laughs> that it will with, with our listeners too. And while we're on the topic of luxury. Yes. I think that we have to address that besides just strictly travel and hotels, you are also seeing and experiencing the world through luxury automobiles. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about that. I am not the person who it's like, oh, right place, right time. It just happened. Like things don't just happen to me. I work Mm -hmm. very, very hard and I'm proud of how hard I have to work. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I had worked with a couple of different PR agencies. And without getting to PR journalism speak, there was an agency that was Maserati's creative agency of record. So they were in charge of, for our listeners who might not be familiar with the space, they were in charge of finding the media that wasn't the straight automotive reporters to experience a car launch, a Maserati, it's called the Quattro Porte, I remember it well, to experience the 
global launch of a vehicle, and they wanted to bring in different voices. So you had your automotive reporters who are reviewers, reporters, and then you had your cultural folks who were coming in to see how the car fits in a space, right? Mm -hmm. What it's like experiencing this vehicle as a luxury, but also within a destination, which is what Maserati presumed their customers were looking for. And my dad used to be a race car driver, and my parents met on a racetrack. So I had enough of a working knowledge of cars. It's kind Plus, of in your blood. It's kind of, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, for the race car purists, I feel like they would be offended by that. But um, both of my parents did a really great job being parents. So my dad taught me how to change a flat tire. He said, hey, come and look at this engine. Did I know how to do everything? Did I know how to take it apart? Am I a gearhead? No. But I was curious. I mean, I still am curious. My job is asking questions for a living. I knew enough to know that I could drive a car in a foreign place. Mm -hmm. That was basic. So Maserati, we were in Italy. We were on an island. And I very quickly realized that this was an untapped world. Because, again, going back to my Wall Street Journal days, I was able to cover all these beats and kind of weave it through the idea of arts and cultures interrelated. And I very kind of quickly came to the realization that works with automobiles. They don't think of themselves as automakers. Mm -hmm. They're not coach builders really anymore. They're luxury brands selling a luxury item. And I very quickly kind of said, I like this. I want to be able to cover cars. I want to be able to talk to people who maybe look like me or who are my age, but they're intimidated about cars or they don't understand or they're being spoken to by someone who doesn't look or sound like me. And that's a turnoff to them, for example. And on one of the trips, a different trip from the Maserati trip, it was a Land Rover trip, I actually met my current editor at Elite Traveler. She was on the trip as well. And she said, this is really cool. I love what you're doing. I love your take on things. Your energy is pretty cool. Come and write for us. And that was about two years ago. And I have regular motoring pages, Elite Traveler's, the quarterly private jet magazine. And I do their motoring pages and their top cars. So every year I take a look at all of the luxury vehicles coming out and feature one from each of the major brands for a specific reason. I don't have this year's theme yet or I would share it. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, it's so cool to be able to slide into a McLaren 720S and drive it through the South of France or slide into an Aston Martin Superleggera and really push it on the Autobahn in Austria. And much like my years at the Wall Street Journal, learning, you know, not talking that much and really trying to learn, I did the same thing on these press trips. And you get to be a little bit better of a driver. And maybe you go on ice drive. I did this with McLaren, and I'm actually going to go do it with Jaguar in a couple weeks. You put a car on the ice, and you figure out how to handle it on the ice. You put a car on a racetrack, you figure out how to handle it on a racetrack. I think if you're open and willing to learn, and this just isn't in travel writing. This is your job, whatever it is that you do. Mm -hmm. I think there are so many people who are so unwilling to learn that if I mean, I walked up to the lead, I remember this, I walked up to the lead race car driver in the McLaren ice driving program, and I said, I'm not getting this. 
rather than just writing me off as, okay, you're the only woman on the trip, you're a little less experienced, rather than just writing me off, like, can we put in the work? Right. Can I mean, the whole point is to crash into the snowbanks because it's not like crashing a car. Don't think about it that way. <laughs> it's more kind of just like sliding until the car decides to stop sliding. <laughs> I mean, you're on a frozen lake the size of, you know, Maine. But it's that everlong quest of learning. And I think in the auto space, I made some friends who are pretty influential in terms of other writers who respect me and respect what I'm doing. But it was that same notion of this is a closed off space, kind of the way people think of travel. Oh my God, I can't go by myself. Right. How can I get into it? How can I make it more relatable? Sure, this is a six-figure, seven-figure car, but you're still writing about what it feels like and what it smells like. You're not writing, okay, here's the horsepower, here's the real torque differential, here's Sure, I can talk about those things, but I'm going to leave those to, you know, the hardcore gearheads. Right. So you're you're also writing about the experience of it, and that's where it really relates to travel. And, and exactly. these automobiles are helping you get to these amazing destinations that you're yeah. then going to. You're so, driving through. Yeah. So it's it really all does intersect. And, you know, I, I made a parallel, and I'm sure you've made this yeah, of course. Um, yourself, but it was interesting hearing you say that you are an only child. Mm-hmm. And so, and also surfing is mm-hmm. a solo sport. Yes. Driving is, you know, unless you have someone in your passenger seat, Correct. is a solo sport. And, mm-hmm. and you love traveling alone. And I think that, you know, you're such an amazing example of the, a female force who... Oh, thank you is just wanting to get into these spaces where, like you said, there aren't people who look like you and and sound like you, right. but you're like, I, I don't care. I want to do it because I want to do it. And that's so powerful and, and brave. Oh, well, thank you. Part of, I mean, I wasn't an only child by choice. And surfing, I mean, I'm a water baby through and through. So the happiest place is salt water for me, wherever that is. It's almost like visiting a perpetual friend somewhere in the world. Yeah. Is the ocean for me. That may sound a little corny, but it's truly like coming home for you. It is. (laughs) I haven't been in the water in a week and I'm low grade freaking out, like (laughs) DEFCON 5 freaking out. You could go swim in Um, the East River, the Hudson. (laughs) I life goals. Hashtag life goals. Uh, No, but. To your point, thank you for calling me brave. Thank you for calling me a force. I don't see myself as such. I go back to putting in the work and saying, I'm probably not the first person who's wanted to do this. Or Google searched and tried to find someone writing in a approachably cultural way about automotive. Mm-hmm. For me, I think everyone can and should travel. I don't care if you're old. I don't care. I mean, you shouldn't travel by yourself too young. I think there is something to adult supervision. (laughs) But you can be a senior citizen and travel by yourself. You can be someone who maybe doesn't speak the language and travel by yourself. You can be, again, I don't care what you look like or how old you are or what you believe in. or It's the willingness to be open with yourself and with what you encounter. And for me, not only is that the most rewarding thing about traveling, but I think it's one of the most rewarding things about travel writing because I've had readers email me and kind of say, I'm never going to go to this place. I have no interest in going to this place, but you brought me there. 
And it's kind of like, whoa. That's That's heavy. That's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you. That's the highest honor. And if I manage to inspire people to get out there or do things any kind of sort of way that I do them, great. Fantastic. All of you should save up some money and book a plane ticket and go someplace. And if you don't speak the language, the human language of, hey, I'm hungry, hey, I'm tired, isn't one that needs a lot of explanation. Right. I mean, human beings are human beings are human beings. And you just kind of have to approach it with a a level of kindness and the word authentic is being thrown around a lot right now and I'm not completely in agreement with how it's being used, but your truest self, you can only be you. I can't be you. You're already taken. Being able to truly just walk into a place, the amount, again, going back to human kindness, the amount of people who've taken me in, even luxury or during the Watson that I spoke about. I mean, today, walking around, I'm really, really, really cold. And I walked into a CVS and I looked at the guy and I was like, can I just stand here and thaw for a second? Like, I'm really cold. And he's like, yeah, do you need anything? I just made some tea in the back. Oh. I wasn't buying anything. <laughs> so But sweet. you do. You just walk in and say, hey, can you help me with this? Yeah. Most people are going to say yes. Right. When you do approach it from that kindness. Yes. If you walk in and demand and say, I need this. Right. They're going to be like, "Mm, no thanks. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Just down the road. (laughs) Good luck. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that is so important. And it's something that we all need to do more of is just be kinder to each other. and, And there's actually a story that just came out in the New York Times about how to be a kinder traveler. And I love that so much. There are so many people, I suppose, whether they're professional journalists or bloggers or folks starting organizations, to kind of emphasize not only traveling kinder, but really just being more aware. Mm -hmm. Things that are totally within your control. And I high-five and encourage all of those people in all of those ways that I can because I do. I think it's great. And I think if we all share our knowledge, you lift everybody up. I love that. When, why not? And yes, I write, make no mistake, I write about luxury, 100%. And I know that there are some people where it's aspirational. I know it's some people where they rip out a page of a story and walk into a store and say, I want this. Mm -hmm. And that's their reality. I know there are people reading this, laughing at it, going, huh, you know, how many tens of thousands of dollars a night is this ridiculous suite? It's not ridiculous to some people. It is ridiculous to others. It's status quo for some and a complete aspiration for others. And that's okay. It is. There's nothing wrong with that. For me, it's being able to discern and write in a way where it's equally useful for the people who are going to be able to use it. And it really is news you can use. But it's also inviting people who maybe they're not there yet or maybe they don't want to appropriate their funds to that to say, what? How does this make you feel? Mm-hmm. Can you learn anything from this that'll make your life better? If you can, great. If you can't, no worries. But like, the fact that you're even picking it up and reading it is the cool thing for me. It's the honor for me. It's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing all your words of you wisdom. Are I'm 
I think that, you know, your whole perspective on this is so amazing. And as we've covered, you have done the staff position. Yes. You've done freelance. You're doing freelance. Yes. You're a master in surfing. You've become a master in the auto space and, and travel. So what is next for Alexandra Cheney? Well, here's the thing. I think people, and I don't know if it's just an American thing, they're always, where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? What are you going to be doing? What's the ultimate goal? What's the aspiration? Here's the thing. It's, without, again, sounding too corny, it is the journey. I don't know. I I knew that I was going to be in some version of this when I started at the journal because that was the goal. But for me, editorial is my love, and editorial is something that— I feel really good in. But the fact of the matter is there's not the amount of money that there once was in editorial. So I have two other things that I do. I media train people and I brand consult. And that cyclical nature, that kind of Venn diagram makes me a better journalist. It makes me a better advisor. But I never would have imagined myself inhabiting those spaces But the reality of the situation was your income is a little bit unpredictable. You know, the more you can get something like the regular contributor position I have at Elite Traveler and the regular contributor position I have at Luxury Magazine among, I mean, I write for a handful at least of other publications, you know, from afar to interior design to architectural digest to the International New York Times. I I write for a bunch of different publications because you do need multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about the reality of the job, that's the reality of the job. Mm-hmm. And I do find a way to subsidize that with the other things that I do. Does that mean in the future I'm going to move more into consulting? I don't know. To me, my job and my life is storytelling. So if that takes a different path, it's probably one at this point that I can't see. But the idea of a family is also really appealing to me. You know, when you're on the road, yes, you get to see all these amazing things and drive these great cars. And But people forget about you a little bit. It's hard to hold down a relationship. It's mm-hmm. ugh, people, you know, will constantly say, my friends at home will say, oh, I thought, I thought you were traveling. I didn't invite you. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to balance that. Someone actually asked me, where are you going to be in five years? And I said, I'm going to be doing a version of what I'm already doing, but I'll probably have kids and I'll be schlepping them too. (laughs) So I'm just going to become like more of a Sherpa. Because to me, travel doesn't stop when you have a family. Travel doesn't stop when it looks different than it looks right now. Mm -hmm. It just changes. And I have no problem with with kind of taking that on as it comes. That's amazing. (laughs) Hopefully. She says. <laughs> she says. Well, we have a lot of traveling moms at JPR, and they seem to figure it out. So nothing is insurmountable. Does. If you can do it solo, I think you can do it with a family. I think so, but I have no idea. <laughs> Mad props that is to your them. next adventure. Mad props to them. I I don't know. I haven't done it. I haven't tried. I don't have yeah. kids yet. So, but that I mean that's I think the the evolution. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Alexandra, for coming to see us and braving the cold New York weather and spending your time with us and of course. Um, and giving our listeners 
a little bit of insight into your experience and your take on the world and the industry. We so appreciate it. Absolutely. And I always like to end whenever I've done podcasts or when I've ever listened to podcasts, I always like to end with, here's something you can actually go out and do. Please. A call to action, if you will. Love it. One, if you're in a place where you're going, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Make no sudden changes. It's kind of, I don't have any tattoos, and I think at some point in my life I'd like one, but I'm not going to do it. Again, going back to my two-year business, if it fails, I'm not going to do it for a year. I'm going to, like, look at it. Yeah. And I think if you lay the groundwork for what you want to do in a meaningful way, if you get your life and your stuff in order, sure, you can then quit your job and go chase your passion, but don't do it irrationally. Don't do it without giving it the proper amount of thought because with that thought comes wisdom. And ask people. Say, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Mm -hmm. Ask for, I mean, I always ask for help. People call me an expert and I call the experts that I think are experts because you never really know. So I would say that's one. And two, if you're hesitating, my God, I don't know if I should go there. Can I do this by myself? Do it. Go do it. Stop giving yourself excuses. Figure out a way monetarily to make it work. And go because you'll learn more about yourself and whatever's perhaps tossed around in your head when you're out of your comfort zone. So those are the two things I would say. And I am always available. I know you guys have my information, but if any readers are curious, there's obviously the social media that you will share. Reach out. I myself am happy to provide words of wisdom and advice and things when I can. I think, again, the world is a better place when you're kind and you pay it forward. So I want to be kind and I want to pay it forward. You're amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. 